0: Now, probably all of you in this room have heard the word sheeple before, uh, probably especially in the last couple of years with all the COVID, uh, COVID stuff that has gone around. And now, sheeple, if you're unaware, is a derogative term for a person who is easily led astray and compliant to their own detriment. Right? They, they go into scenarios that they didn't expect to get in, and it is to their own uh, detriment or downfall. And the text that we're going to look at today doesn't actually mention this category of people, but you could probably fill in the blanks who they are. Uh, the beginning of John 10 is the closest thing to a parable that John's gospel has. Many of the other gospels you see Jesus goes through all the parables, but John just has this one distinctive one, and it gives an illustration of three figures who are all quite different. In, in, in this analogy or this parable, uh, you'll see that these three figures are number one, the thieves and robbers. That's one category. Then you have sheep and then you have a shepherd who, who is also called the door. Again, one category. And it's immediately obvious uh, that Jesus is the good shepherd. I think all of you would probably know that before we would even look at the text. Um, and it's also pretty obvious who the sheep are in the text. It's those who are following Jesus. But the thieves and the robbers are a little bit less clear. And and the missing category of those who follow the thieves and robbers is not even mentioned. In other places, they're contrasted with the sheep, and they're called goats, right? You have the sheep, and you have the goats, and our text doesn't actually speak to that other category, but our culture might call these people now sheeple. So what we call them isn't really that important, but I I wanted to bring up the word sheeple because I wanted to caution you. As you think of that word sheeple, I want to caution you to not shy away from being identified as a sheep. Okay, you got to be careful. In fact, we're going to find that if you're unwilling to identify as a sheep, you might be in the same category as the thieves And the robbers in this text. And my prayer is that everyone at the end of this text would be able to say, yes, I fit squarely in that category of a sheep. Not a thief and a robber, not the good shepherd, not the door, but a sheep of the good shepherd. So let us open our Bibles now to John chapter 10. As I said, we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. These are the words of God, and as such, let's give attention to them. A stranger, they will not follow, but they'll f- flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out, and he will go in and out and find pasture." The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon. is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of God for his people. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, your holy inspired word that is living and active. And we ask that it would be active upon us, that it would cut to our hearts all the way down to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand. Lord, as your disciples heard this text, they didn't understand it first. So Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see that we might not be blind to the truths that lay right before our faces. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words. Inspire us. Give us life that we might see, that we might walk in the light, even as you were in the light. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. And Amen. amen. So since the text tells us in verse 6 that this is a, a figure of speech, some of you are reading in the King James, it might even say that this is a parable. It's our job to identify the figures in this figure of speech and their meanings to better illuminate Christ's spiritual lesson for us. In all the parables, there's a lesson, something for us to take home. So, what we're going to do is look at the action of each of these figures, these three figures that I talked about the thieves and the robbers, the sheep and the shepherd. We're going to look at the actions of these and then kind of put the story back together again and pray that the Holy Spirit would apply these things to our lives. So, let's start with the thieves and the robbers. Verse 1 opens by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So we start off with this first category that I said is perhaps maybe the, the most unclear. Who is it talking about when it says thieves and robbers? Well, let's look at the text a little bit better and see if, it can, if we can understand. Notice it says, does not enter by the door. They do not enter by the door. Okay. So in other words, they're, they're wanting to be where the sheep are, right? They're, they're, they're trying to get in, but they're unwilling to enter the correct way through the door. That's the right way to get in. They're climbing in another way. That's the language that John uses. So what Jesus is getting here, uh, getting at here is that uh, there were some who professed to have a way in. They were going to get in, but it was not the correct way. It was a false way, and this tells us that these were false teachers, Okay. They were teaching a way that you could get in, but it was not the right way. And this false teaching was that entrance into the shepherd's pasture. We might say salvation, eternal life, being the people of God. Uh, they, they said that this could be attained by your faith in and obedience to the law. OK, to the law. It wasn't salvation by works alone. They weren't exactly saying that. It was salvation by grace through faith in God and his law and obedience to that law. So it was essentially salvation by faith and works. Okay? They added that and onto it, and that is where we often slip up, is when we add something to what God has said. They believed that they could enter the sheepfold a different way besides perfect righteousness to that law. Okay? So uh, there was, uh, 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 that is, there was. The Faith came in, right? so they believed that they should trust in this law, that the law was good. They knew that the law was good. They also knew that they were not sinless, but they thought that being pretty close to sinless and trusting God would kind of make up the difference for the basis of their salvation. So we have the law. It's good. We're going to try really hard, and that's basically going to be how we get in. We have faith, and God's going to clean up the rest. We're going to obey as best as we can. So practically what this meant was trying with all their might to obey the law that they knew was good and hope that God would save them because they were the chosen people and they had the law. Right. We're the good guys. That's why we're saved. And we, and we try really hard. Okay. So they're climbing over the wall as a way of saying that they're trying to do things different than the way that the shepherd has said to do. Now. I want you to think about this. Think about salvation. Think about the plan of salvation that God has given to us, that order of salvation. And how often do you find yourself slipping into this same pattern that the thieves and the robbers did? right? This mentality of doing things a little bit different. Not the way that God told you to do it, but close to it. This looks like being part of a church, um, knowing scripture really well, studying your Bible really well, but putting your trust ultimately in yourself to obey the Scriptures for your salvation, right? I'm trying to live this out, and that's the basis of my salvation. So in a way, it's kind of salvation by works, isn't it? Like I I go to church, I believe the Scriptures, and I'm just trying to do what's right, and that's my basis for salvation. Living under the law and placing your faith in your own obedience to the law is a way of trying to climb into the shepherd's pasture another way than the door, Right? That's salvation by works. And even in the Old Testament, the Scriptures said that we should live by faith, didn't it? And that's faith alone. The just shall live by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And it was his belief that was counted to him, not his works. This was before any works had ever happened. So the pattern is faith alone. The only way is through the perfect righteousness of Jesus And you put your faith in him, and he alone has that perfection required to enter that door to the pasture. And he ultimately is the only door, is what we find out from this text. And when we place our faith in him and his righteousness not around, that's counter to us, just like it was to Abraham. And this is the way that we enter the pasture. Any faith in your own righteousness is a way of climbing over the wall because you know the requirement for the door is perfection, and you're not hitting it. Okay, So that's one way that we fall into this. And we all do it at times, but we, we've got to stay lockstepped into the door. The shepherd, the one who knows the way, tells us the way, and remember that that is the only way. Okay? Now, let's dig deeper into these thieves and robbers and how, how they got off course. Verse 8 says that all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Well, that seems like a pretty big blanket statement, doesn't it? All that came before me are thieves and robbers. Now, this is not to say that the people of God never had a faithful leader. They did. As you look through the scriptures, uh, they were not all false teachers. And even the New Testament affirms this. And if you look at Hebrews 11, it gives a long list of faithful people, people who believed by faith and they, or the faith was accounted to them as righteousness. So there was faithful leaders. But what this is saying is that no leader was ever given to Israel who was able to enter through the door as the good shepherd. There was no Messiah before Jesus came. And anyone who claimed to be or claimed to have this kind of knowledge that led to salvation and he alone was the way, they were a false teacher. We'll see in a moment that the only person that is able and capable of doing this, uh, being the door and the shepherd, is Jesus. There's only one. There's not many of them. All the others who claim uh, uh, that uh, will be shown to be thieves and robbers, Jesus says. So that's why he says, all who came before me who are making these claims, they are false. So these thieves and robbers are false teachers. We've identified them as that. And it's Jesus here pointing this out to his disciples. If you look back at chapter 9, what had happened was Jesus had been doing miracles, as he did all through his ministry. And this causes a stink, right? Because he did it on the Sabbath, and it wasn't according to the way that the Jews thought it should have been. And they, they try to accuse Jesus. Well, he's not following the law. He's not doing it our way. So he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the real one. So Jesus is actually giving kind of a rebuttal to this, saying, no, actually, I am the one. I've been doing it right all along. He's calling out the majority uh, of the religious leaders who've been rejecting him as he seeks out the sick, as he heals the lame, as he offers eternal life to them. Jesus is pushing back saying, no, I'm actually the one you've all been waiting for. And you need to watch out because everyone else who is rejecting me, these are actually the thieves and robbers. These are the false teachers. And this is what the parable was for these disciples so that they would see this, that the false teachers were essentially saying, don't follow him. He's a fraud. Don't. And you need to follow us. Reject Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, here's a parable for you. Guess what? They are the false teachers. They are the ones that are the thieves and robbers. Now, if you think about this. In the way that Jesus uses this parable, you might ask yourself, okay, so they're thieves and robbers. What are they stealing? Right? What, what, are they, what are they robbing? What, what are, what, what's the thievery going on? What is it that they are stealing, killing, and destroying? And I think that this is a, a one-word answer. The thing that these people are stealing, killing, and destroying is life. It's life. Period. A person who claims to have the way and the truth and and give you life by following them is truly robbing you of an abundant life in Jesus. They are sucking the life out of you if they are doing that. In fact, they not only rob you of eternal life because if you follow them, you're putting your faith in the wrong thing and you won't have eternal life. So there's a spiritual dynamic, but there's even a a physical dynamic to this. When you follow a thief and a robber, when you follow a, a false teacher, they will emotionally Mentally and even physically drain you by sucking the life out of you Now many of you have met these kind of people before And and you can affirm this is how they act They are living off of you because they are feeding off of what little bit of life you have They are taking it from you because they are so starved for it They are lifeless and they need it and they will find it and they will take it from you And that is their pattern They live off of other people's lives False teachers, the thieves and the robbers in this parable are the the most spiritually draining people to be around because they are robbers of life. They will take your life from you and make your life as miserable as possible. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting about these thieves and robbers. Because, as you can tell, I've been talking about a broad group of people, right? I'm not talking about just one person. There's people that have nodded their heads. Yeah, I know these kind of people. Now, often in Christian circles, though, there's only one person who's said to come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan, right? So they, they give all the credit to Satan. Satan, he's he's doing all that. But but this text actually doesn't say anything about Satan. It talks about thieves and robbers. That's plural. There's There's lots of people. So there's a sense in which... Yeah, Satan does do that. I'm not disagreeing with that. But there's people that are doing his work. There are rulers and principalities at work in your life. And they might even be people. Because this is who Jesus is after here. Jesus isn't after hypothetical situations. He's sitting around with his disciples who are going through real-life situations and saying, here's a parable for you guys. Figure it out. Who are the thieves and robbers? (laughs) Right? Right? This is what's going on. And this is why Jesus uses this imagery of entering the sheepfold but the wrong way. These are people who claim to be the good shepherds. They're the teachers. They're, they're the righteous ones. But in reality, they're incapable of entering the sheepfold the right way. They can't even, uh, they're teaching a method of entering the pasture that they can't even attain themselves. They're saying, you can get in this way. But not even they are actually getting in. They think that they're getting in, but they're not. That's why Jesus says things like they search the scriptures because they think that in them they'll have eternal life. But it's the scriptures that bear witness about me, right? They think that just coming to the law and finding the scriptures is the way to salvation, but they're missing the whole point. They're, They're not coming through the door. They're coming in another way. They think that if they just study hard enough, if they just strive and put out enough effort, that that's how you get saved. And it's not. That's climbing over the wall. So no doubt they are doing the work of Satan I'm not negating that, but this is not Satan. This is, this is people. This is the, the narcissistic pastor that uses the church to get his own devices. Right? This, is, this is all kinds of different people. This is the seminary professor who studies very hard and knows theology better than anyone else, but uses that just as a, as a career and not a spiritual cultivation. He's completely disconnected to the, the truth of Scripture, to, to, to Jesus that's in the Scripture, and he's using theology to get his own way. It's it's all kinds of different things. This is the the person you see on TV, the TV evangelist that says, uh, if you follow me, I'll lead you to green pastures. And by green pastures, he's talking about a different kind of green. You'll get get money. Right. Give to give to my ministry. Give greatly. And guess what? God's going to give back even more if you just give that. Right. That's not what it's about. These are false teachers only looking out for themselves. This is, this is the politician who says that I have these great, uh, great green initiatives that I'm really passionate about. I really care about when he actually doesn't care about any of that. doesn't care about you, and he's only trying to get more power so that he can get his way. False teachers leading people astray, claiming to be leaders and claiming to be righteous, claiming to be really hard workers and doing it all for your sake, but actually having a complete disconnection between you. There's no real relationship. Okay? And Jesus calls them out on this. And this is why he says they're like a hired hand. Now think about this. This is the way that Jesus thinks about this. Uh, So they rule the sheep, but they lead them for self-interest. Why do they lead them for self-interest? Because they're in it for the money or the power. And because of this, when hard times hit, when the wolf comes, that's the analogy that Jesus uses. So whatever hard uh, season that uh, might be, the the thief and robber, when he's confronted by the wolf, he runs he's not willing to lay down his life. He's not willing to have a backbone and stand for these people because he doesn't care for these people. And that's what Jesus is exposing through all of this. He's saying that these people are not theirs and they know that, right? If if they saw the sheep as their own, like their own children, they'd be ready to lay down their lives for them. They they would actually be self-sacrificial, but because they don't see the sheep for who they truly are, They are not going to be self-sacrificial. They are going to only do what covers their own behind, right? Which leads us actually to the next point, which is the door, the good shepherd, the one who does lay down his life for the sheep, the one who is ready to take on the wolves, who is ready to take on the thieves and robbers, who's actually in this very moment doing the thing that he's calling them to do. He's putting himself out there and saying, stay away from those guys. I'm warning you. Be careful. I'm trying to be a shepherd to you. I'm trying to guide you and lead you away from them. And guess what? It might even lead to my death. And it did. This is Jesus doing the very parable that he's talking about. Now, I want you to notice something. Uh, the, The thieves and the robbers, as we looked at them, they actually had very little to do with the sheep or the shepherd didn't they? They were kind of out on their own. They're completely out of the loop between this shepherd and the sheep. They're kind of working solo. They're just doing their own thing, but that's not the case with the shepherd and the sheep. Now, what I did is, as I read through this text... Uh, and I was doing my own study, Uh, I took a highlighter and I highlighted in green, yellow, and red uh, the different figures that we have in this story. And I contrasted all these to kind of look at their actions to see what each one was doing. The thieves and robbers, of course, they were red. Uh, So I highlighted all the actions that they did. We've looked at them a little bit. And then I took the green and I highlighted highlighted the shepherd and then the yellow uh, for the sheep. And what I did is I came down with a long list of things that the shepherd does and that the sheep do. And and I want to just say these things to you. And I want you to think about the relationship between the two. How, how the shepherd and the sheep are so connected. In verse 2 it says the shepherd calls, there's the action, the shepherd calls the sheep. Okay? It says the shepherd leads the sheep. See the connection between two. The shepherd brings out the sheep. The shepherd goes before the sheep, verse 4. The shepherd came that the sheep might have life, verse 10. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 11 and 15. You see the connection? What the shepherd does is for the sheep. He cares about the sheep. What he does is is for the benefit and love and cherishing of the sheep. The shepherd loves the sheep. Now look at the sheep. Look at it the other way and see how connected they are to the shepherd. The sheep hear the shepherd, verse 2. The sheep follow the shepherd. The sheep know the shepherd's voice and they will listen to him. Verse 4 and 16. Now here's the disconnect. The sheep will not follow, do not listen to, and flee from the stranger. Okay. The sheep enter and are saved by the shepherd. The sheep find the shepherd's pasture. Verse 9. The sheep have the shepherd's life and have it abundantly. Do you see that sweet communion between the shepherd and the sheep? They are one. They are working together they don't have their own agendas right what the sheep does the sheep does for the shepherd and what the shepherd does the shepherd does for the sheep even their life is one it says think about that they are living off that same life source the sheep live off of the life of not themselves not their own righteousness they are living off of the life of another and that is jesus who is willing to give up his life For the sheep. And he has the authority not just to lay it down, but to also take it back up. He's God, right? So they're they're both living off of an eternal life source, and that is Jesus Christ. He lives off of Himself in the resurrection, and all who put their faith in Him, they are also living in that resurrection life, that abundant life, as this text says speaks about. So their interest, the sheep's interest is his interest, and his interest is their interest. And and they are in need of guidance and he is their guide, right? They are in need of leadership and he goes before them. They are in need of pasture and he takes them there. They are in need of life and he gives up his own so that they might have it and have it abundantly. That is the gospel church. This parable, this story of the sheep and the shepherd and the thieves is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins so that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's quite simple, really, when we break it down like this. But yet in our pride, we are so often blinded from it to see the simplicity and the sweetness of it. So, so what's the spiritual lesson here? The parable is given to us so that we might find who we are. This is what Jesus does. as Jesus speaks He's pretty much always putting people in identity crises. He wants people to figure out who they are. So as you look at this parable, you look at this uh, this figure of speech that Jesus uses here, he wants you to ask, who do you think you are? This is what he's trying to do with the disciples and even the onlookers too. Who are you in this fictional story that I just made up? These thieves, robbers, shepherds, sheep. He's not talking about literal sheep or shepherds. He's saying, who are you in this story? Are you a thief and a robber? Think about that. Because you, you could be. There are real people in this story who were when Jesus was talking about that. Are you manipulative? Are you a, a conniving person who uses others by pointing to yourself always as an example? Look at me. I've got this all together. If you just follow up my way, you could have green pastures. Follow me. I'm a savior figure. When you interact with others, do they find that they have no life at the end of it? Are you sucking the life out of others because it's really all about you? think about that. Sometimes when we have those friends that we find out aren't really that good friends to us and you leave and you walk away and you're like I'm just drained. Like I don't I feel like that was just about them. Don't you don't want to be that guy cuz those are real people. That that could be you if you're not careful, if you're not leaning into the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing who you are in Jesus, you could very well be that person. You want to be a life-giving person and not life-giving in the sense that you are giving up your life uh, for that person because you have eternal life. No, you're saying, I don't have it. I don't have the eternal life source. Jesus does. That's what it means to be a true sheep, is to point other people to the great shepherd and not say, I've got it all together. If you just had what I have, then you'd have it. No, you're saying you need what Jesus has, and you can feed off of him. He actually calls you to feed on him. That's what he calls Peter. Feed my sheep, he says. Feed my sheep. So are you a sheep? Now, think about that. I remember I brought up at the beginning of this, this uh, sheeple analogy, because we're very uh, averse to, to saying I, I'm a sheep. We don't want to say that. But what you have to do if you're going to read this text rightly is say, no, I am a sheep. So, so are you willing, church, to say that you are a sheep? Is it too humbling to admit that you're needy and uh, incapable of leading yourself? Right? Are you needy? And are you able to say, yes, I need help? Because that's part of Repentance. That's part of being a real sheep. If you can't say that, then you can't repent. Sheep are easily led astray. Can you confess that you don't have the grip of life or grip on life like you think you do? That you've got it all figured out? Because being a sheep essentially means I I say that I'm dumb a lot of times. I don't have it all together. I often stray off and I need someone to pull me back in. And that's humbling to say that. No one wants to be that person. But guess what? That's who we are. We are oftentimes sinners who are just kind of mindlessly wandering off, so in need of the shepherd's crook to kind of grab us and pull us back and say, no, no, you're going off towards us. You don't even see the wolf up there. (laughs) But we do that, don't we? We just kind of go our own way. Do you know who the great shepherd is? Do you know who he is? Have you identified someone else maybe wrongly as the great shepherd? Think about that. Have you put your faith in someone else? And a thief and a robber maybe and a false teacher saying they've got it all figured out. If I could just be like them. There's often times where we have a we, we give people a little bit of life that they don't deserve. We, we give our identity over to someone to say, if I could just be like them. That's not living life and life abundantly. You're eventually going to get drained and you're going to find that that person is actually in a small way sucking life from you. You're not actually getting anything from them you need to know who your great shepherd is. Now, as we bring all this together, I wanna make this as practical as possible as I can for you. Um, And I said, once we've identified these figures, then we could reassemble this passage and pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would be able to apply this for your lives. And that really is my prayer for you this week. I hope that as you go uh, home today and as you go throughout this week, you can think in your mind about this parable and then think, I am a sheep or uh, I'm looking towards the great shepherd. I see wolves. I see uh, thieves. I see th- robbers. So, so I want you to be able to uh, kind of put this in your mind and to do this. Uh, I think the best way to do this is just to speak about how the Lord done this to me this week. Uh, as most of you know, the pastor is the one that actually gets to benefit from the sermon the first time, because uh, I, I, all through the week, I'm kind of rolling this text around in my mind. I'm thinking about the sheep and the shepherd. Um, how, how could I preach this? How do, how do I make this as practical and helpful for, for my congregation's lives as I can? And, and what I found is that the Lord actually gave me a real-life scenario to apply this. He didn't give me the time that I would have liked to prepare for this sermon. Um, frankly, this sermon had very little preparation uh, just because uh, I had a crazy week. And I think it was because God was trying to teach me how to preach this sermon. Uh, so so i will just kind of give you an analogy of how this worked this week in my own life. So I've been audited uh, at work. Um, For those of you who don't know, I kind of serve as this middleman position between the EPA um, and a gas and oil refinery. Um, And we get audited periodically and uh, the audits are pretty big deal. I mean, there's always fines, uh, stipulated penalties to involve things like that. And what I found is as I was uh, being audited this week, it seemed to go pretty good at first, then not too great. Uh, Then it seemed to be going really good at the closeout meeting. And then in about the last couple minutes of this closeout meeting with about 10 managers in the room, it went really south really fast. It it was not going good. I thought that the meeting was gonna go uh, golden, it was gonna be fine, but then uh, this one issue that was still kind of uh, uh, pending, it even said that in the presentation, this is pending, it might not be anything, but it just blew up out of proportion really fast with, uh, like I said, 10 managers in the room, as soon as the meeting was over, it was such a big deal that the the vice president of the gas and oil refinery knew about it. It was not going good. And as you can imagine, I was scared to death. (laughs) And in, in that moment i was trying to think what in the how did this even happen first of all uh how did it spiral out of control and what am i going to do now because the issue was uh, i'm not going to go into details but it was a mindless issue that i had made uh, it was a mistake um, it was actually a mathematical error so a calculation error but as everyone knows when dollar signs are involved that does not matter at all <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's an accident because if people are going to have to pay fines uh then it's you're going to be you're behind so People are asking those kind of questions in that meeting. Who's going to be responsible for this? Who's going to pay for all this money? And, the, the, of course, they're all looking at me because I'm, I'm the one being audited uh, to make sure that the program is running as it should. So I'm scrambling trying to think, what in the world am I going to do? I, I mindless, mindlessly did this. I, I feel like a sheep. <laughs> I feel like a sheep that have just walked right towards a problem, had no idea it was coming, and then it hit me full force. What am I going to do? And that's when it started to realize, uh, recognize in my mind that the Lord was trying to show me something through this. I've got to be a sheep all through this. Not just the one that kind of walks into it, but the one that is actually led out too. So my my intelligence is not going to lead me out of this. I'm not going to figure out a way to get out of this on my own. I need someone to show me something, a way to get out of this, because it's not going well. So. After about eight hours of crunching numbers with uh, managers, at the end of that day, there was a little progress made, and I felt like, yeah, the Lord's kind of leading me out, but I still was not out of the hole. There was still an issue. It was still on the table, and the, the stipulated penalty were all still there. So I went home that night, and when I got home, I realized I forgot my bag at work, and it was my Friday, uh, which is a Thursday, and I wasn't planning on returning to work. But the Lord was working. Uh, this often happens to me. Uh, I mindlessly do things like leave my bag at work with my computer and all my uh, valuable things in it, uh, drawing me back to work the next day because I was like, "Well, I wasn't planning on going in. But I guess I could go in now. Um, I can go get my bag. I can work there for a little bit. Try to work on this sermon on Saturday because it's getting really close to, to crunch time with the sermon. So maybe I can get away from the kids. I'll work for a little bit there. And, and, and that didn't happen. Uh, when I got there, when I when I returned back to work the next day, that, that uh, Friday morning, morning, uh, I found that the Lord had obviously led me there for a reason, because uh, I sat down for about two minutes to work on this sermon, and then uh, the manager came in and said, let's go talk. i like, oh, here we go. So, so he brings me in, and we decide to call the auditor and talk a little bit more, and one thing leads to the next. I'm not going to go on and on, uh, but we found out that the actual stip- stipulated penalties didn't apply at all. That it wasn't going to be an issue. That it was actually just a complete misunderstanding that even if they, the issue had been uh, what they had thought it had been, they had thought about it in such a wrong way that it actually wouldn't have counted the whole time. So that was God's big joke on me to say, hey, <laughs> let me internalize this for you and show you how I am your great shepherd. How I, I lead you not just out of the issue but also through it. Because there was a, a time when I did not know how this was going to play out. Like I could have lost my job over this very easily. Uh, But the Lord was leading me through this and calling me to remember, you are a sheep. You've got yourself into this problem, and you're not going to get yourself out of the problem either because you need a shepherd. So, church, this is how I want you to to internalize this story for you, to remember that you are going to lead yourself into wrong places. That's just what we do. We are sinners. We are sheep. We go in all kinds of places. But the good news for you, church, is that if if you truly are a sheep and you identify as a sheep with a repentant heart – You have a good shepherd. He was not going to abandon you. When the hard time comes, the wolves are at your throat ready to take you. You have a good shepherd. No, 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 no. That's mine. And if it comes down to it, guess what? It'll be my life, not his. And that's ultimately what happened, isn't it? That Jesus gave his life for us so that we wouldn't have to give ours. That's what the cross is about. He was giving up his life for the sheep. It was intentional. It wasn't this vague thing where God said, uh, we'll be fine, it'll, it'll all work out. No, this was very specific to you as an individual sheep in your individual moment, and whatever that might be, it comes down to that. That's how the gospel truly applies to our lives. It's real people. It's, it's real uh, real life situations to take parables like this that seem like, oh, okay, sheep, shepherd, whatever. No, it really does count. It really does make a difference. And when Jesus tells a parable, man, church, we need to Listen that there's a lesson for you that you are going to need. Maybe it's this week. I I pray it's not, but I know that it's going to come because if you are a true sheep, you are going to be led astray by someone and you're going to need real din, but you have a great hope. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We who identify as sheep gladly say that we often lead ourselves in the wrong places, but we are so, so thankful that we have a good shepherd, that you love us well, that you care for us, and that while we find ourselves in the the valley of the shadow of death, we're reminded that you lead us through, that we have someone who is near to us in that time, and ultimately we are going to be led into green pastures. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship this morning, worship our...